excited to share the Word of God with you. Um, as they were singing through worship, there are some things that God was speaking to me in, in my heart, and I was, I was getting so excited about what I'm going to share with you today, because what I'm talking about today is not popular. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. Um, it's so easy to grow up and go to church every single day of your life and not realize that you got the bullseye on your back. The enemy's desire is not to defeat the God in you. The enemy's desire is to defeat your faith in God. Because he can't finish you, and he can't finish God. But guess what he can change? Your faith in him. And I'm talking about steadfast patience. Have you wondered why on earth there's billions of churches, billions of religions, all looking for God, but they still lost people in the world? Have you wondered why there's so many songs written, so many books written, so many things said, so many stories told, but there is people that haven't had the gospel? There is people that are not moved by the compassion that God had that he had to send his son into this world. That compassion to save us is what I'm talking about today. That he had to be so patient with such a human being, with such a life. And yet there's something on the inside of every single one of us who is always thinking, I've done enough. I've gotten to this place in God where, man, I'm so gifted, I can sing. Therefore, I'm on the worship team, and I stand in front of people, and I tell them, God loves you, and God cares about you. But there's broken people in our churches. We can preach the gospel, be great pastors, and do what we do. But there's people going through hard times in life, even in the places we call ministry places. We say, God is here. But these people still going through stuff. What am I trying to point to here? I'm talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this is the fruit called patience, that whenever things are going wrong, it's never the absence of God. I'll say that again. Whenever things are going wrong, it's never the absence of God, if you believe. It's maybe there's something about what you believe that you may have to pay attention to. And part two of this is maybe what you believe needs to stand the test of what you're going through. Maybe you're being stressed right now. Maybe, I mean, I was talking to people before the service, but there's people going through stuff right now that is so hard to even understand. How could I be saved and be going through this? What am I talking about? Maybe salvation is about a change of character on, on how we respond about things we go through in life. Maybe salvation is not all about excitement and lifting your hands up, but it's about a heart change. And maybe some of us have been so saved for so long, but the heart change hasn't come along with it. I'm saved, but moment, I'm still struggling with this. I'm saved, and I'm still going through this in life. I'm saved, my marriage is still broken. I'm saved, I still don't have any money. And every time I go to church, they say, give, and it shall come back to you. It seems like nothing is coming back to me. Every time I need to do something, there's a limit in the way. I'm talking about something today that even in those moments, 
you get the confidence that, God, I may not have what I need right now, but I'm so glad I have you in my life. Um, I'll go on to say this because there's some things I want to pull up before I continue. Maybe God is after a crushed, broken person who has nothing else to depend on but him. I was thinking about the way they make wine and the way they have to praise the olives. And it almost makes a correlation how God sends his son into the world and has to go through that process in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's called the place of olives. It's almost the place of pressing. And what comes out of him is the message and the gospel that salvation is built on. But when we as believers get in that place, when we get to our Gethsemane, we are saying, oh God, take me out of this place. Oh God, I need that next paycheck now. God, the bills are all around me. Cancer is in my body. God, take me out of this place. And maybe that's the place that's actually meant to portray that God, what I believe, what I have read through your word, what has sunk into my life, Paul says, I've been pressed crushed, persecuted, but not abandoned. I've been, I mean, I've been, I bear the marks of the gospel in my body. I said the message today is not going to be easy. Because you won't go to church where they're preaching to you about, I bear the marks of the gospel. You only hear that with missionaries, right? I went to the Middle East, I went to Guatemala, I went to Mexico, and I went to the dump, and people were doing this. But how about here in the church? Are there things going on in your life that feel like thorns and you're praying, God, take this out, and God is saying, my grace is sufficient? Are there things you're going through and you're so discouraged whether God hears your prayers anymore? I want to take a trip with you here through the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament foreshadows this huge, I mean, men of God, women of God getting anointed and doing mighty things, but notice something, their character and their heart never changed. David was a, made, a mighty man of God, killed Goliath, went on to be king of Israel, last was still in his heart. Samson defeats an entire nation of Philistines, last was still in his heart. I mean, I can name the list down. And then you see this man called Jesus who comes through the Gospels, and they're saying there's something about this man that is very unique because the people that thought he, he was coming for are mad at him because he's going for the people that he's not supposed to be going for. He's on the streets. He's in the markets. He's in the villages. He's healing the sick, raising the dead. He's being stoned. He's being bitten. But the man is not stopping. And his message is, I got the kingdom of God on the inside of me. That's the kind of attitude I'm talking about today. How many of us in this room would say, I've got the kingdom of God so much on the inside of me that no matter what stones of life come my way, I'm immovable. I'm fully saturated. In other words, I have the patience of God in my life. You look through the Gospels, you see this, you see Jesus take on this character of a man who says, you know what, I do what I see my father do. I speak what I see my father speak. I will go on further. In the epistles, Paul begins to talk about 
the thing that empowered Jesus. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And at some point, he says, this is what empowered Jesus. He said, the Spirit of God, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the very same Spirit that has him seated above, is alive in you and me. To me, that is pointing to a place that the work that I need to see happening on the outside of me actually has to start on the inside of me. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 1, verse 16. After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, knowledge of him, the eyes, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory in his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power." Spiritual growth is a work and proof of God's Spirit in us. In other words, everything that's coming our way is actually an opportunity to demonstrate what's on the inside of us. If my joy can be taken away by a test, then it's not a joy from the Lord. If my peace can be stolen away by something in the world, it's not the peace of God. If my patience can be hindered by something in the world, it's a peace not of God. I'll give some good examples. I mean, I love Facebook. But, man, there are some, there are some people on Facebook, they ask so simple a question. Like, how do I believe in God? Help me. But in their heart, they have an essay of questions. So a good believer is going to be answering, oh, man, you should read John 3.16. And that turns into uh, 20 posts later. Or here's another good example. Oh, pastor, I want to meet with you. I want to understand the heart of God. And pastor says, go read your Bible. Pastor, I've done that. <laughs> you know what that says to me? So you've, you've read the heart of God, understood it, and thought I could explain the heart of God better to you. <laughs> and so those are the aspects of life where it becomes very challenging that even the essence of who Christ is is lost. Can you imagine if you got into... If you went to heaven and you were at St. Peter's Gate, I'm just using this because it's a story everybody uses, and God asked you, and Peter asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? If your answer is, God, I did everything so well, I got saved, I raised life, and Pastor Dwayne preached a great message, I was watching online in the living room, and I lifted my hands up, and I got saved, that is too many eyes. If your answer is, Jesus took care of my sins and died on the cross for me, he qualified me, that's the answer that I'm talking about here. Because when you hit the mountain, you're not going to say, I got saved. You're going to say, the word of God in me says. You're going to say, Christ has my victory. Here's what I mean by saying this. Can you imagine the third thief on the left side of Jesus? After he dies, he goes to the Peter's gate. And Peter asked him, why should I let you into heaven? Did you read the Bible? He said, no. Do you know Jesus? No. I met him on the cross, though. Uh, have you been to church? No. Do you deserve being here? No. And then Peter asked him, why should I let you in? What do you think the third thief was going to say? 
I met a guy on the cross who told me that everything was going to be okay, that he was going to meet me here. So no matter, what, no matter what he knew, no matter his experience, no matter what it was, the fact that he had an encounter with Jesus, it marked him that, you know what, there is a first person I need to mention in my life. And this first person is Jesus Christ. And I can't imagine if that's our life before we get to Peter's gate. You know, Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by renewing your mind, that you may prove what is that good and ac acceptable and perfect will of God. This is my first point for tonight. Patience is not a right or an inheritance. It's a pursuit. I can see Jesus having all of heaven, having legions of angels that he could have called on, but he's carrying this cross a mile and a half uphill to Golgotha. And the Father in heaven, I don't think he was smiling. I can see the Father in heaven sitting there saying, well, I could save him the next step. I could save him the next step. And Jesus is taking one more step and one more step. Maybe that would be, to me, as a father, that would have been long enough to watch my child suffer. But the next step, I'm watching from heaven, and now they're laying him down on two trees. Now they're putting in the nails, and there's blood everywhere. I can't even see the face of my son. And after they lift up that cross, he's like, Father, <laughs> into your hands, I commit my spirit. If you're the dad and you're looking at this whole process, there has to be something that you see valuable, that what is happening in that moment might be painful, may be cost-effective, maybe even the devil didn't cause it, but someone did and was obeying the works of the devil, and here we are, but what is happening is actually meant to bring redemption. And there's some people in this room right now that I'm talking to you, you are understanding what I'm talking about. It's like this thing of long-suffering. Because once you separate long-suffering from patience, it becomes a business idea. I invested $20, and I can wait 10 years, and it will be $200. That, anybody can be patient with that. You don't have to be saved. The, the kind of patience I'm talking about is the long-suffering kind, where you know it hurts. But maybe this is the salvation of my household. This is the salvation of my kids. This is the salvation of my business. It hurts. It's painful. But this place that I'm in, I'm not talking about sickness. I'm talking about the place of victory that overcomes the arrows of the enemy. I know a guy, he's, uh, I read a book of his. His name is Dr. Douglas Gruthius. And this guy is a PhD writer. He writes a lot of research books for theology. And he's married to his wife, Betty, and they've been married for over 30 years. And his wife has had fibromyalgia almost all their marriage life. And now it has turned into almost like a dementia aspect of it all. She's, she has a nurse staying home with her 24-7. And, and he's writing theology books, believing in miracles, signs, and wonders, and the Word of God, and the whole thing. And so Lee Strobel gets a moment to interview him. He said, how can you be writing all of this about Jesus, about his love, about his grace, 
about his kindness. And yet in your own house, it's not there. And I'm going to paraphrase his answer, but this is what he said. If God could look upon Jesus on our cross and hold his hands back, and that turned the whole world upside down, then whatever he's doing, allowing to do with my wife, it's something that's got to do with turning my life all the way around. Because if what Jesus did turned the universe around, I'm not saying his view is the most perfect. I'm not saying that he's the most knowledgeable person in the world. But I'm just saying, can you imagine this level of long-suffering, this, this level of faithfulness? There's people watching me right now, and, and you're wondering, when are things going to change? But things will start to change on the outside when the in, inner peace begins to, to reign and seep into the things going wrong around you. And this man was a picture of that to me. He's like, you know what? He told Listro boy, he said, you know what? That's not even my prayer point anymore. God heard me, and God knows he's, he's in control. He's given me this ability to study his word and teach other people the word of God. You know, Psalms 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy, and truth. You see, to me now, patience is no longer my ability to withstand pressure. To me now, patience or long-suffering is saying there's something I believe that is going to overcome what I'm going through. There's a word of God in my life that I know things are going to get tough. I know the world around me is going to change. I know COVID may come, and another sickness may come, and whatever may come. But there's something on the inside of me that is still at work on the inside of me, that even though my environment changes, I do not change because God changes not. And it's coming out because the outside is mixing it up. I'll use, I'll use an example here. When Jesus is in the boat, and the storms are raving up, and the disciples are scared for their lives, I think... The storm thought it was trying to scare the people about their faith. Because Jesus told them we're going on the other side. And what happens in that moment is Jesus wakes up. And the, you know what's amazing in that story? is He's not moved by the storm. He's like, guys, where's your faith? He's like, did you think you're going to die? It's like the storm was something on the side. In other words, I've deposited something in you that this is what life is built on. So patience is not waiting on God to do. Patience is believing that what God has put in me is going to work. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. Patience is God manifesting in my life. You know, patience is like a selfless, grounded. It's like selflessness a selflessness that's grounded in the sufficiency of the Word of God. I'll say that again. I know it's English here. Patience to me is a selflessness grounded in the sufficiency of the Word of God. It's the Word of God taking root into my life. I'm going to demonstrate this here fast. Uh, are you ready, Josh? I need that bag here sh shortly. I'm going to demonstrate this. And that for a lot of us, for a long time, we thought patience was waiting. 
But if patience is a character of the Holy Spirit of God, then who is really waiting? It's God waiting on us to get in line with the Word so we can start changing the situations around us, infecting, changing them through sometimes it could even be hard. Let me show you this. So here's a nice believer who's going to church every day, and then depression comes. Anxiety comes. So he thinks he can catch. Hold it on. Hold on to it if you can. And he's, he's managing the financial stuff well because he's working, right? And then here comes a wife. Oh, man, the marriage begins to, he, he's, he's trying to figure it out now. Oh, they have a miscarriage. Here we go. And then the devil realizes that sometimes he drops some things and he makes life go faster. And here's what happens. Now, that person is no longer focusing on Jesus anymore. Now, his, his attention has become, how, how much can I go through in a month? How much can I go through in a week? How much money can I rise in a week? And what is God asking us to do? I've put my word in you. If this was Jesus, thank you, brother. If this was Jesus, maybe what he's asking us to do is this. Every time a situation comes, they're like, oh, it's finances. God got it. You see how free I am? There's a death in the family. His word says his life. There's cancer in the family. He's healing. I may not be changing at the moment, but what's happening in me? There's a faith that's being stirred up. Oh, God, my kid was playing athletics and they need a college scholarship. He got it. Everything that you can ever think of, this is what gives a believer patience. Why? Because it cost Jesus to carry everything that would otherwise be on your back. It cost, it cost God his son. Death and resurrection. So whatever you would have to carry, even sin was included there. So you could live this a weightless free life. Paul says, lay aside every weight, every sin that ever entangles you onto Jesus. Jesus says, come all you who are weary and heavy laden. Man, there's so much going on in the world, but I know who can take it. Jesus, what becomes my focus now? It's no longer these things. Now I'm going to God. God, thank you. And that's where faith comes in. This is where faith begins to work because now you've handed everything over to God. Everything is, is, is in God's hands. And now you begin to understand what it means when you look at Luke 15, 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. I think about this this way. That means my mouth and the words that come out of my mouth should be a fruit of Christ, of God the tree. 
Because the life in the tree is the Spirit of God. The branch of the tree is who I am. That means the life that's in me is the life that's in the tree. Same Spirit. That means the fruit of the tree has the same life that's in the tree. So that means the words that come out of my mouth, the fruit of my mouth, has to bear so much with the life of Christ. And that's what I call true discipleship, is you're being taught that there's, there's the life of God in you. And now my study becomes, how much more life of God can I get and understand by myself? And begin to speak things that people are going to call me crazy for. There's people in this room right now that you're wondering, I've prayed for so long. And here's my second point. Jesus was born of the Word. Therefore, doing the Word is a product of His nature. When we're not doing the Word of God, we're beside ourselves. If, if Jesus, His nature is the Word of God, and Jesus spoke the Word of God, that means Jesus was a branch on God's tree and He bore the correct fruit. So if we're believers who have received the salvation of Christ in us, when we're not doing the Word, we're besides ourselves. And that's why whenever the battles of life come, we try to hold on to all of them. How many things can you go through? And people like to use this verse. God will not give you more than you can handle. I've done a study on all of that verse. But it has been so misquoted that when people are going through real things that they can't handle, truthfully can't handle, they will quote that scripture. Even when they're broken and the enemy is like, I got you in a corner because you think God can't give you what you can't handle. But that wasn't God who gave it to you. It was me. And you live your whole life broken thinking, oh, God wants it to be this way. <laughs> because if God wanted to give you what you couldn't handle, he could have put you on the cross. The only way you can handle what Christ did is through the Spirit of God. That's how you can love the person next to you. Why? Because the Spirit of God is on the inside of you. That's how you can give the way you give, because the Spirit of God is on the inside of you. That's how you can smile through trouble, because what? The Spirit of God is on the inside of you. That's why you can do the things you do, and people think, what's going on with him? It's because, guess what? Let me tell you a story. It's the goodness of God that I'm here. My bank account doesn't say so. My spirit doesn't say so. But the fact that God is in my life, that settles it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I can't imagine why Paul would be writing this. There must have been some things going on in his life that nobody was seeing the fruit of. Or maybe the church was doing some things and they were like, man, this is supposed to give birth to more money, but no money came. This is supposed to take my marriage to another level. I went to all seven marriage conferences and I read 20 books. I feel like I'm still the same person. And Paul is saying, there is nothing that you will do for the Lord that will be in vain. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slack considering his promises. As some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 
I'm going to close with this. Galatians 5.22. So when you read Galatians 5, sometimes the interesting part is everybody wants to start on the fruits of the Spirit. I challenge you this evening, you're watching us online, go read from chapter 4. Paul is teaching the church of Galatia that there's something on the inside of you that has to work itself out. You can't touch patience. You can't touch long-suffering. You have to go through some things to encounter patience. You have to go through some things to encounter long-suffering. And Paul is saying, but that's the fruit of the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. There's something on every single believer the day you got saved. Ephesians 1.17 says, you got sealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, everything that I'm going to go through in life, God has already wired me with an ability on the inside of me to persevere, to be successful at, even though it doesn't look like the world may call it. You know, there's people who can be married and the only reason they're married is because they have kids. Are they not still married? It's people who have the job because the only thing keeping them at that job place is because of how much they pay. You still have the job. But do you know what's missing in all those pieces? There is no relationship and there is no fellowship. And that's why Paul talks about the fellowship with God at the place of suffering. The grace of God be with you. And the fellowship of his sufferings. I had a story from a pastor friend of mine who, was, who went to India. And there was a group of pastors who were put in jail because they were preaching the gospel on the streets. And it was about six of them. And as they, were, as they were in jail, they were having a conversation. Who was going to die first? And one pastor said, I'm the oldest. I should die first. And the other pastor said, no. I'm the one who led you to Christ. I should die first. And the younger kid said, I'm the one who fed y'all when you guys came to my parents' house and got me saved. I should die first. And as he was going on telling that story, I felt like in my spirit. In America, if I told you that today you're going to give your life to Christ, but that may lead you to death, how many people would still be in, a, in this so-called place we call church? I'll tell you another story. This one's from the Middle East. I remember this guy was sharing it in Dallas. He was a Muslim. He had a dream, and he was so convinced. He had never read the Bible just heard about Jesus from the Quran. But when he had a visitation of Jesus in his room, Jesus told him, go to the market. There's a guy dressed in whatever color it was, and he will tell you more about me. This guy wakes up all in the morning, goes to the market, meets this guy. And this guy says, this guy, the Muslim guy tells the other guy who was evangelizing, says, I had a dream last night. And I saw Jesus, and he sent me to you so you can tell me more about him. You don't realize the decision he just made there. 
Because that means he can't go back home. That means to his house, he's as good as dead. To his wife, to his kids, to everybody. But what happened to him was so, in one moment, I met Jesus one moment in the Middle East. And I was willing to die just to know more about this guy. And here we have an opportunity to sit in a building like this and lift up our hands and say, God, I love you. God, I praise you. I adore you out loud. But when it comes to suffering, when it comes to being patient, oh my God, it's, it, it's a growth that only the world can see in us by character. You can't say I'm patient. And yet when we're in the line at the mall, we're like, come on, get in front of me. When someone cuts you off in the car, man, they get the middle finger. When someone says something on the other side, man, you, you're so quick to be like the world does things. But when you're in church, oh God, I'm so patient. There's so much suffering going on in, in the world. But yet in your heart, maybe that's the bottle that's squeezing you, the juice out of your faith. God, there's needs in my life that I need met now, not tomorrow. And when now passes, you're like, God, are you still there? Do you care? Do you care that your son is going through this, that your daughter is going through this right now? And God is saying, I said in my word that I'm willing to be patient, patient so that no one perishes. And maybe you're in this room right now. There's some words of prophecy that I have for specific people. Mari, I saw you earlier. Your husband told me that you were going to. Guatemala is it for a mission trip? And after he told me that, the Spirit of God said to me, <laughs> get ready for a shakeup of things that you've thought you've planned. But then he said something else also. Whatever you're going to need is going to be provided for. I don't know what that means to you, but that's what I had. And I know it's, it's tough to be in this place you may look at me and say, maybe I have it all together. I don't. I don't even qualify to be standing in front of you. But there's things that I have seen God do in my life. That there's a growth God is taking me through that I'm seeing. Maybe even some mountains. I was sharing with a friend of mine the other day and he was challenging and telling me about this. Maybe even some mountains in my life are not meant for me to tell him to go away because they're not the problem. Maybe they're my point of elevation and meeting with Christ. And that's the challenge of how much are we going to be like Jesus when it comes to the cross? How much are we going to be like Jesus when it comes to a lost person in our neighborhood? How much are we going to be like Jesus when it comes to the person we walk past at the mall? How are we going to be like Jesus when it comes to the marriages that we have? Are we really in relationship and fellowship? What weight do we feel when we see the world the way it is with so many churches? So, many, so much preaching, so many books, so many songs, so many gifted people. But yet we see the heart is getting darker and darker and darker and darker. We want our prayers to be like our orders we make at McDonald's. I want a value meal, six nuggets, and fries. 
And it just is like, oh, there's a point when it, it has to come to that place where this thing cost God something, and it may cost me something now. God made it available by grace. I receive it by faith. But I'm, I got to give it to someone just like I got it. And that's the burning desire that I'm talking about, the steadfast patience. If you don't mind, get up on your feet tonight. If you're in this room and you feel like this has ignited you like it has for me, come forward. I want us to pray together. If, if, if you're in this room and you sense, man, there's some things that I've been going through. I mean, I would love to partner with you and, and other pastors over here because I want to stand in agreement. And if you're watching us online, there's people going to pray with you. There's people who want to pray with you now because there's that special grace of God that is beginning to just flow like a mighty river. Even in these days that men... There's people who go through things in life, like a Stephen in the Word of God, who instead of seeing the pain of the world, he was seeing the stairs leading into heaven. He was encountering God while everything around him is saying death. It's in those moments where it's like, I have the confidence, even though I may not see him, he's working. Even though I can't touch him, he's working. And maybe you are out there and you want to give your life to Jesus. Repeat this prayer after me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I receive your grace. I receive your salvation. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you came in this world because you love me. And that my life would never be the same again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen.